Welcome back for the third episode of the Appalachian Broncos podcast. I'm your host, Mark, joined once again by my co-host, Nate, coming to me via Zoom. Yeah, what's up, everybody? It's good to be back. I just wish um, me and Mark could record from the same place. I know, get a little better audio in. After taking last week off due to Thanksgiving, we're back after one of the craziest weeks in Denver Broncos history. I'm sure you guys are all excited to hear about it. Let's get down to it. Yeah, so we'll start off this week's episode with our weekly update, which goes over our injuries, our COVID updates, and any players in the news. So starting out with injuries, Trey Marshall is listed as out with an injury to his shin. Then we have Philip Lindsay, Malik Reed, and Jerry Judy, who are listed as questionable, but they've been full participants in practice, and Fangio has said that they will play. So nothing to worry about those three. And the big news, the big sad news, is that Bryce Callahan has been moved to IR with that foot injury he's been dealing with over the last two years. Um, It's not a broken bone, so he can return after three weeks. And they have positive thoughts that he will return. So that could be some good news in a bad situation. Um, What do you think about Bryce Callahan's injury, Mark? I think it's a huge loss, definitely, since we have Tyreek Hill meet Cole Hardman, Travis Kelsey coming up, especially against Pat Mahomes. Bryce Callahan's been playing well all season. I guess that the best the best we can do at this point is just wish him a speedy recovery and hope he gets back on the field as soon as he can. Yeah, while, while I researched the injury list and looked through the report, I do have to say this is one of the shorter injury lists that we've had this season, so that's... That's kind of a good look. Finally. Do we have any COVID updates for you, from you, Mark? Uh, Deontay Spencer is still on the COVID list. He's been on there off and on all season, which has been really affecting our ter- return game in a negative way. Uh, yeah. Jeff, Jeff Driscoll, of course, as everyone knows, is the reason why our quarterback situation was what yeah, it was the, last the week. Ground zero, the spread. Yeah, but we'll get into that later on. Uh, Darius Kilgo, a guy that's been on the team off and on for a few years, got put on the practice squad COVID list, which you and I had no idea was a thing, actually. Yeah, if, if any football fans out there didn't know, there is a COVID list for the roster, and then they have a separate COVID list for players that are on the practice squad. I had no idea that they were two separate lists. Right. Um, some great news about it, though, is Shelby Harris is finally activated off of it, and he's finally oh, coming man. back. I am so excited to finally see him get back to action. He was doing so well at the start of the season. I hope he picks up right where he left off. Yep, that's definitely a big ad for us. And also getting activated off is Drew Locke, Brett Rippon, and Blake Bortles. Uh, what about some other players in the news need anything there? Yeah, so some other players, since we've been gone for two weeks, I want to say that... Um, Levante Bellamy, which is a running back, was signed to our practice squad. We also activated Mark Barron. Um, they haven't announced like how much of a role he's going to put in. Um, our linebacking core has been doing really well. Maybe he'll get some play time this week with um, a little more need for covering tight ends. But we'll be seeing that tomorrow. Um, next up, we signed Will Parks off of waivers. Philly Possibly Will. our biggest loss this offseason that we had a say in. Because, mm-hmm. like, Chris Harris, he was kind of leaving and stuff like that. We had a chance to bring him back, didn't get to. I know you had some emotions when he left. What were you feeling when that news broke? I was pretty upset. Uh, I just remember Will Parks, he's, like, the spark of the team. You know, he's the, the attitude, the upbeat guy. And he made some big yeah. plays for us, especially that play against Pittsburgh, what was it, two years ago when he knocked the ball out at the goal line. That was a huge yeah. play for us. 
Yeah, I had a friend ask me about Will Parks and why I was so excited about a backup player. And I explained to him that Will Parks can play safety at a high level. He can play corner at a high level. He can play linebacker Mm -hmm. at a relatively high level. He can just, like, fill any depth spot that we need, which, as you know, this season is really important. Um, The only bad news coming about the Will Parks signing is that he won't be able to play this week because of COVID protocols. We won't get to see him until next week. Um, The final player that I have in the news is that we signed Garrett Bowles to a new contract, four years and $68 How do you feel about that signing? You know, if you asked me that same question last year, I would be upset. But this year, I think it's one of the better signings we could have had. It's a big move for us because it's definitely going to open the avenue in case we need to franchise tag Justin Simmons again. We're not going to have to worry about two big contracts this offseason. And Garrett Bowles, didn't he get upgraded to the highest-ranked left tackle in the league? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, so, I mean, with how he is playing this year, he's earned that contract. It's just hoping that he continues to play the way he is. Right. Uh, We'll go go on to the next section that we have here. We'll go into the review of the Saints game, which we're going to be up front right now. It's not very long because there wasn't much to talk about in that game. We'll get it started with the positives, the few that there were. The defense played relatively well to start the game off until they seemingly got tired from the offense, you know, going three and out every single drive. The pass rush showed up. I was I was very impressed by them, and I felt like they tried their hardest. Like, even in the fourth quarter down by 20-some points, I still felt like they were trying their hardest. Whenever they made a big play, they were still getting hype about it. They were upset when they missed a play. Like I, I like the intensity they brought through the whole game. Right. Yeah. What do you think about the uh, negatives of the game, Nate? Yeah, I mean, the main negative is that the NFL made us play the game. I mean, we were just kind of set up for failure in this situation, which I know we'll get into later. Um, I can't really put any negatives on anybody. All I have is respect for Hinton for starting on a mm-hmm. couple of days' notice. Um, respect for every single player that took snaps and the defense and special like everybody I know all you can have for them is respect and a bad situation they're put in right yeah it's just you know one of those things yeah so um, next up I think we got your segment coming up yep we're gonna hop on to uh what we like to call Mark's weekly Bronco breakdown where we tackle a different uh topic every week breaking down the Broncos week First episode was Drew Locke, second episode offensive line, and this week we... I'm excited to see what you got for for us this week. What do you got for us? This week I got for you, Nate, we're going to talk about our QB situation last week and the NFL in general. I've had multiple people reach out to me asking about my comments, and I said they got to stay tuned. Yeah, I could kind of take a guess that that was going to be it. I received many a text about it as well. So let me me just walk you through the uh, sequence of events here. So on the Wednesday before the Saints game, Jeff Driscoll tested positive for uh, COVID-19. He was placed on the COVID-19 list. So, And then the next day, all three Broncos quarterbacks, that means Drew Locke, Brett Rippon, and Blake Bortles were all deemed close contact, high risk. They didn't test positive. They were put on the close contact list and put in, made ineligible to play. And they continually tested them every single day. They, um, they uh, didn't allow them to play. They kept going and testing negative every single day, every single day, every single day. They weren't allowed to play. What do you think about that, Nate? Yeah, I mean, I understand the safety concerns um, because, yes, COVID is a very serious pandemic. 
But when you have guys testing negatively, there's some hope, which I think should lead to more likeliness of rescheduling the game for the future, right. which did not happen. So yeah, and that's this, my thought. And they were all deemed close contact because they uh, got permission from the team to come in on an off day and hold a QB meeting in which in one of the rooms. And what happened was the NFL deemed them close contact because the Broncos released footage to the NFL showing that the players took their masks down while they were eating or to talk to each other to understand each other better. But they had their masks up for the majority of the thing, according to Drew Locke's mom's comments. And what do you think about her comments, Nate? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly love Drew Locke's comments because Drew Locke got a lot of shame from the media about this. I mean, Stephen A. Smith was yelling about him. Everybody's yelling about him. And basically the consensus from the media was, how can you trust a quarterback who's going to do something as stupid as this? How can you make him a leader, blah, blah, blah. And then Drew Locke came out, Drew Locke's mom came out, and she basically said, stop bashing my son. He came in on an off day because he wanted to get better. He watched film. He brought the other quarterbacks in, and they did Mm -hmm. great work to improve themselves for the Saints game. The team gave them permission, so they asked permission, and then they pulled their mask down a couple of times, which she said is a mistake. Like, he did mess up, but he shouldn't be getting the backlash that he was and I agree because he had good intentions he was trying to be a good leader and then slipped with his mask and fell into Mm -hmm. a big bad situation that we ended up having to deal with right one thing I uh, noticed about her comments is how the NFL tried to twist it that Drew Locke doesn't care about the um COVID protocols because he's just this young cocky kid how he doesn't allow his girlfriend to travel to away games he makes yeah. his parents stay in a hotel when they come to see to visit. Like he, does, Drew Locke is not playing around, and yeah. I believe the NFL failed the team greatly here. What do you think about that, Nate? No, I, I think the NFL did fail the team. I mean, they put us in a situation which, like, we'll get to the Ravens and the Patriots and all that stuff in a little bit, but they just put us in a situation where the only opportunity for us was to lose. Like, you can't expect us to beat a top team in the NFC with no quarterback. Yeah, and the the um, the NFL is all about this quote-unquote competitive integrity of the game. What was competitive about that game on Sunday? Nothing. I mean, you have Taysom Hill coming out after the game saying that the Saints were told to go easy on the Broncos, that they ran a conservative playbook, which I'm not buying. He's just saying that because yeah, he played like yeah, trash. Yeah. But... You don't you don't score thirty one points on the Broncos defense with a dumbed down playbook and not trying. Exactly. They were trying very hard and were frustrated that Taysom Hill wasn't playing as well as he thought he should have. Exactly. Yeah. This is just a big, you know, black mark on the NFL and all. Like we mentioned a little bit ago, they bent over backwards when one Patriots quarterback tested positive or when Lamar Jackson tested positive. And they'd probably yeah. do the same for Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson. What do you think, Nate? Yeah, I mean, you think about, and you mentioned the Ravens. And I had a lot of people say, oh, why are they moving the Ravens without the Broncos? And my first thought and first response was, the Ravens have like eight to ten players who have COVID. Of course, their game should get moved. Mm-hmm. We have three, but we have a vital three. Uh, my biggest issue is when they moved it to Monday, I was fine with it because... On Monday, we didn't have 
are quarterbacks eligible to play. Right. But then they moved it from Monday to Tuesday. And on Tuesday is the day that all of our quarterbacks became eligible to play. So exactly. if they would have pushed the Broncos game back to Tuesday, we would have played the Saints with our starting quarterback. It would have been way more Probably won. Yeah, and I talked to Mark and everybody around me before the Saints game. I was extremely confident in the Broncos yep. to beat the Saints. I thought that it was a great situation to pull an upset and kind of take the NFL's notice, and we are robbed of that opportunity. And to call out the NFL's favoritism of the Ravens and Lamar Jackson once again, did you notice that when they rescheduled their Thursday night game from that was supposed to be two days ago to this Monday, I believe, that made Lamar Jackson eligible to play because if they had rescheduled it to Sunday, he would not have been able to play? Well, they rescheduled it to Tuesday, but he ended up not playing because of... No, I'm talking, other... about, I'm, I'm talking about their game for this coming week. That Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I, I didn't see that yet. Yeah, they, I mean... they, they scheduled it in a way that Lamar Jackson is able to play this week. If, he, if they had scheduled it for the day before, he would not have been able to play two weeks in a row. And the NFL did not want to lose out on money for their god, quote-unquote, Lamar Jackson. Well, yeah, I mean, I think part of it is the business aspect, which as kids you don't really notice it, and as you grow up you realize how much of a business the NFL is. And they realize that Lamar Jackson is one of their top promoters out there. Everybody loves Lamar. He's flashy. He has Mark Ingram making him a meme and highlight and everything like that. Mm -hmm. The Ravens have Hollywood Brown, who's big time into the media. Right. Um, So obviously they're going to get a lot more like media and money and things like that from the Ravens than a Broncos team who all of our star players are injured. Drew Locke is a star player, but like he doesn't get the same attention anymore. He gets the Baker Mayfield treatment. He's considered somebody that's, too cocky for how good they play like yeah it's it's definitely a situation that i think the nfl mm -hmm. kind of put us yeah in a bad spot so i'm gonna throw a question at you about this nate do you think the nfl made an example out of the broncos to show other teams that they shouldn't mess with us or mess with the covid protocols no i think what happened is the the nfl was super lenient in the beginning because they had all these bye weeks and stuff like that so they rescheduled everything because they knew that like they had time and stuff like that they thought it was just gonna be like a couple team thing Mm -hmm. and then once it got down to the town to business and like teams have already used up their bye weeks there's no more like which the broncos didn't even get one so yeah i know so there's no leniency for like moving games and stuff like that i think that they we're like, okay, it'll just be the Broncos. Let's just make them tough it out and play. And then when the Ravens had their thing, they were like, shoot, okay, let's reschedule that. And I don't know why they didn't say, shoot, let's reschedule both. Like, mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I definitely think they uh, put the Ravens or the Broncos players in danger by making them playing. You know, Kendall Hinton coming cold off the practice squad to start at quarterback yeah, yeah, in the NFL. Yeah, no. Been tackled in a football game in over two years. Hadn't thrown a pass in was it three weeks? Um, he had no practices. All he got was film time and whatever warm up he did before. The and game. had to cram that all into twenty hours before the game. And he's less than twenty hours. And, yeah, and yeah. he's playing against Quan Alexander and you know Cam Jordan and all that. Marcus Lattimore or Marshawn Lattimore. And uh, but the one thing about this whole thing that I really had 
a problem with that really upset me and upset a lot of other people in the Broncos media that I saw on Twitter is Vic Fangio's comments about Drew Locke and the other quarterbacks. How he said that it's their fault and they shouldn't have taken their masks off and all that. But when he got fined for taking his mask off, his response was, I need to take it off so people can understand me. So what kind of example is that setting when you, you the coach follows one set of rules, but the players have to follow a separate set? Yeah, I mean, I definitely see where you're coming from, and you're definitely on the harsh side of that comment. And I'm a little bit more on, like, it didn't bother me as much because as the coach, you're kind of like a politician in some sorts of way. So if he would have defended them and said, oh, they did everything right, it's fine. They tried to do work. They messed up. I think the Broncos would have got a ton of backlash because they're being currently like interviewed and they have people figuring out what they should do with the Broncos. Just now they think that we are a current like reoccurring case for COVID mm-hmm. protocol breaks because of Fangio and that. Yep. So I think what Fangio is trying to do is kind of protect the Broncos from further issues. I don't think that he... His words came out bad, but I think his intentions were good. So that's why I'm kind of cutting him a little slack for it. Yeah, it's definitely one of the more interesting situations in the NFL. This is definitely, hopefully, something that the Broncos never have to deal with again going into a game without a quarterback. Luckily, Kendall Hinton is getting some memorabilia in the NFL Hall of Fame. Shout out yeah, to you, Kendall. They sent his, um, his wristband and his play call book, so... I mean, the last time what that uh, non-quarterback had to start a game was, I think, 1965 or it was, 60. It was, it was Tom Martell, I believe, with the Baltimore Colts. Yeah, yep, who was a running back and had to start back-to-back weeks. But that was a completely di- different NFL where... Back then, you could do that. the ball anyways. So. Yeah, back then when players got paid, you know, $8 for per game, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, so that was a little bit different of a situation than... In the NFL now, where the every team relies on passing the ball, so yeah, so that's gonna that's gonna wrap up my uh, weekly breakdown. You know, we kind of tore into the NFL, tore into a little thing. So we're gonna go to Nate's section here with his uh really cool way back Broncos segment. Yeah, so way back Bronco um, was an easy choice for me this week. I'm trying to go older players to newer players, but there was some sad news that came out, which we'll get into later. Um, or may as well get into it now. So it came out like a week and a half ago that Floyd Little was put into hospice care due to his battle with cancer. So I took that as an opportunity to kind of um, use my way back Broncos spot to educate the listeners on Floyd Little and how much of a goat he was. Um, so Floyd Little played for the Broncos from 1967 to 1975. Um, he is the oldest Bronco in the Hall of Fame who played his entire career with the Broncos. Because Called him the franchise. Week, yeah, last week was just a player that played a couple years. Um, he was born in 1942 on July 4th in New Haven, Connecticut. And when he played, his playing um, measurements was 5'10 and 196. 
how do you feel about um, a five foot ten, one ninety six guy playing in the NFL now at starting running back? Uh, I mean, that would basically be literally me trying to step back in that field, and I don't think I could handle that. <laughs> so yeah, now, now, I, nowadays we have players like Derrick Henry who are six two, two forty. Seem like they're three hundred and fifty pounds, but aren't. Um, so it's back to Floyd Little. He was a three time college All American at Syracuse. Um, so he definitely had a great college career and was um, voted into like the College Hall of Fame. Um, Denver drafted Floyd Little with a six overall pick, so he was a high touted college player. Um, he's began he began his career as a return specialist. He was a great running back, but the Broncos actually drafted him for his returning ability, which I did not know. Neither did I. I definitely thought that he was a running back true and true with my research. I had no idea. Like, his first year, year and a half, like, he had, like, no starts at running back. He had just a couple carries here and there. And then he finished his career as one of the best dual-threat running backs of that time. So definitely made a big transition there from returner to great. Kind of reminds me of another Broncos running back. You know, I'm thinking of. Uh, I'm trying to think. Is it a recent one? No, no, no. It's it's a Super Bowl historic. Oh, Terrell back. Davis. Terrell good old Davis. yep on the his good old preseason uh kickoff tackle. Yep, yep. Made made the team because of his special teams play and then turned out we all know how that went. Mm-hmm. Um some more stuff about Floyd Little. He played nine seasons and he rushed for six thousand three hundred and twenty three yards and had forty three touchdowns. Back in that time, those are crazy stats. Um, he had 215 receptions for just shy of 2,500 yards and nine touchdowns. And then he earned more than 12,000 total all-purpose yards and 54 touchdowns um, because he had a couple return touchdowns as well as he started as a returner. Um, he was His third year, he averaged a league high and career best five yards per carry. So just about every time he gave him the ball, he was creating something. And his third year is kind of where he made the turn from possible franchise running back to he's the guy. So his third year is definitely a big impact in his career. Um, in 1970, he led the AFC in rushing yards, which is big time a Broncos player have only done that a couple of times. Yep. Um, he was the Broncos' first 1,000-yard rusher, um, so that's awesome. He kind of set the tone as a Broncos team that through the years are known for having great running backs, and he won the rushing title in 1971. Um, before we get into kind of the, some of the awards that he had, um, I know you had some experience with Floyd Little. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, so I actually had the pleasure of meeting him a couple years ago at the uh, Collector's Showcase of America in Chantilly, Virginia. Uh, he's my dad's favorite player growing up, so we had to meet him. We actually got him to sign a helmet and a jersey for us and a picture, and we have a bunch of pictures with him, so he was actually a really nice guy, and he was, you know, pleasant. It was cool to meet a Broncos legend, especially since I grew up in a completely different Broncos Uh era. From his interviews and stuff like that, um, I got to ask you, is did he kind of joke around with you and stuff like that? or? Oh, yeah. So at those autograph shows, some of the guys are real, real nasty and mean. They don't want to talk to you. But he like shook our hands, was down to take tons of pictures with me and my dad. And he, he you know, is actually genuinely a really nice guy. 
Yes, I, I remember one of my favorite Broncos interviews is an interview um, done with Floyd Little after he retired. And they were playing some of his old, like, rushing highlights and stuff like that. And they asked him, like, about his moves and stuff like that. And he was real funny with it. And he basically said, I don't practice any of my moves. I just do them on the spot. He said, like, he could not recreate any single move that he did in his NFL career. And as he was watching, like, highlights of himself, he kept going, man, that that dude is good. Oh, man, look at that. Like, he kept being, like, shocked about the stuff that he was doing. So I really thought that was funny. Yeah, that's funny. Um, I have a, like, really old collector Floyd Little card, which back in middle school I started researching him because of that card and kind of learned a lot of stuff about him and kind of learned to love how he impacted the Broncos. Right. Um, to get into some of his other accolades, he was named to five AFL All-Star games and Pro Bowls since he was kind of around that time where that transition was made. Uh, he was named an AFL NFL to the AFL NFL team twice, um, all AFC's first and second team four straight years in a row. He was the seventh all-time rusher when he retired. Um, he's obviously lower now with another 40 years being played, 50 years being played since he retired. And then um, he is a Hall of Famer, so that's the highest accolade you can get as a running back. So, Shout out Floyd Little. I mean. The biggest point of this segment is anybody out there, give Floyd Little and his family all your thoughts and prayers as he's going through a tough time with his cancer battle. Um, Definitely don't wish that upon anybody, and we hope that he can fight through it and live another another while for us. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the main thing. Right. Um, With that solemn finish, we'll try to get to something a little brighter, and we'll head to the segment of Rookie Spotlight. Um, once again, there's not too much here with that Saints game since like most of our rookies are in the passing game and we didn't really pass that much. But it is important to notice that Jerry Judy was fifth, is fifth in rookie receiving yards in, in the whole NFL. And KJ Hamler started to get some reps at punt returner. So that's big time. And we are the only team with two rookie receivers that have at least 25 catches. What do you think about Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler? Uh, I definitely think that their impact would have been better if we had Cortland Sutton still because, you know, take a little pressure off the rookies. I definitely don't think the Broncos planned on having the only two rookie receivers with at least 25 catches this season. But, you know, Jerry Judy's our number one receiver at this point. I think he's surpassed Tim Patrick in everything except touchdowns. So... Yeah, I mean, I think you got to put it into perspective with Jerry Judy that, like, he's fifth in rookie receiving yards, but he's played with, was it four starting quarterbacks now? I think three. And then, three, yeah. Are you including Hinton in that, though? Okay, so four with Hinton. Yeah, I didn't include Hinton yeah, in that, yeah. So, yeah, he's had four different quarterbacks, so he hasn't really gotten that, like, vibe with mm-hmm. the starter. And, I mean, he's fifth in rookie receiving yards, and he got no receiving yards last week because of the situation right. we were in. And you uh, look you look at, like, Justin Jefferson, who has Adam Thielen on the team, Kyle mm-hmm. Rudolph, Dalvin Cook. You look at CeeDee Lamb, who has Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. Um, I can't remember who else. Chase Claypool. I mean, he's got Ben Roethlisberger throwing him the ball. Gary Judy. Yeah. yeah so. Uh, 
You you mentioned the Cowboys, which we're getting a little bit off topic with the rookie spotlight here. But did you see Jerry Jones's comments about the Broncos quarterback situation? Yeah, that was that was terrible. That was you know why do he have to do Ben DiNucci like that? That's basically saying okay, that so, he's trash. So for everybody that maybe didn't hear before I let Mark get into it, um, Jerry Jones was asked about the Broncos situation, and he basically said. They're not doing anything differently than what we're doing with starting our backup quarterback. Which, right. first off, is horrible for your backup quarterback. Or I, I mean, it is their third string, but he played quarterback all through college and stuff like that. What do you think about the effects of that comment, Mark? I mean, how are you going to compare a practice squad wide receiver who hasn't played QB since 2017 to a kid that took his college team to the FCS National Championship last year? Shout out James Madison, by the way. I know I got some listeners out there. But how are you going to disrespect that kid like that? Like, that just shows that you have zero confidence in the kid. And I think Jerry Jones is just a senile old man that needs to keep his mouth shut. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's becoming like a Raiders owner type of situation right. without Davis making some crazy comments and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Okay, back to our rookie spotlight. Nice little detour there. Um, Michael Oje Mudia, um, he was back on D. Um, since Callahan got injured, he kind of stepped in to replace Callahan. And Fangio, Fangio actually said that O.J. Mudia's tackling has improved, which was one of his biggest issues that we saw. Which was the and reason he was benched. rookie corner, Isang Bassi, had his first career interception, which is awesome. It was mm-hmm. one of the biggest highlights of our game last week, which highlights yeah. were few and far Literally between. the only reason we scored. Yeah, so um, what did you think, what role do you think these two rookie corners are going to have next week with Will Parks not eligible and um, Callahan injured? I believe that they are going to be tested early and often with the speed. I don't think they yeah. face speed like this, and I don't know if they're really ready. How do you think the Broncos are going to um, put O.J. Moody and Bassey? Do you think they're going to put O.J. Moody outside and keep Bassey inside? That, that's the smart thing to do since Oja Moody is a bigger guy. Um, he you know he can be a little more physical on the outside. A little but bit I, faster too. Yeah, I think they're just going to do a lot of uh, safeties over the top, you know, backing them up deep. Yeah, and then the last thing is Lloyd Cushenberry. He's the last rookie spotlight. Um, he struggled a bit. Um, he had a bad snap to Philip Lindsay, which kind of caused a fumble and things like that. Um, but I find it hard to be hard on him because the Saints knew we were running the ball 95% of the plays. What did you feel about his poor play? Do you feel like it was his fault or just a bad situation? Bad situation. I feel there's nothing to do, nothing you can do about that. And uh, just to mention the fumble real quick, for those of you worried out there, that did not count as Philip Lindsay's first career fumble in the NFL. They attributed it to Lloyd Cushenberry because Philip Lindsay never had possession of it. So all of you fans out there, don't worry. Yeah, so that that's another thing that I want to bring up on another detour is we kept Philip Lindsay's streak going of not fumbling once in his career, and we also kept the streak of the Broncos scoring at home because we were going into the game on a streak, I think it was 462 straight home games where the Broncos have not been shut out, one of the longest streaks in the NFL. Um, and I was terrified that the streak was going to be broken on some 
poor situation the NFL put us in. And when they let Brandon McManus attempt that 58-yarder, like, in my heart, I knew it was going in. I knew it was right. meant to be. I, was, I feel like I was, that streak yeah. is the only reason they let him kick that field goal. I, I think so, too. And, I mean, it's just proven further and further that you got to let Brandon McManus kick no matter where you're at on the field because he's just automatic. 58 yards, and mm-hmm. it was a real good kick. Like, I wasn't worried about it at all. Yeah, speaking on that shutout streak, I do think it's funny that we scored more points with a wide receiver playing QB than we did with Trevor Simeon at QB a few years ago. So, right. And another funny thing is that the Buccaneers with Tom Brady and all their weapons had the same exact score that we had against the Saints. Yeah, as if you guys haven't been able to tell, Nate and I are not that big a fan of Tom Brady, especially me. Yeah. So, Yeah, especially Mark. Um, I'm not saying I'm coming around to Tom Brady because I'm not, but my second favorite NFL team has always been the Buccaneers because I loved that they shoot a cannon off after they score, and little baby Nate, that just like made him so entertained that they had a cannon mm-hmm. that shot. Um, so I've always followed the Buccaneers closely, and it's like, a happy, sad moment that they signed Brady is they're finally doing well, but oh, Tom Brady, I never want that guy to do extremely well. Then then on the flip side, you had me, the only reason I started watching the NFL really, I mean, I was raised around it, but what got me into it was watching Peyton Manning play, and you can't be a Peyton Manning and a Tom Brady fan, so Tom Brady's yeah. like Satan to me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that finishes up our rookie spotlight. A couple detours in there, that was fun. Um I'll kind of let you get into breaking down the Chiefs game. All right, so, you know, the moment we've all been waiting for, our Sunday night matchup against the Chiefs. Hopefully this one does not snow. Yeah, this will be, if it doesn't snow, this will be the first time Drew Locke has played the Chiefs when it hasn't snowed, which hopefully he'll play a little better. Getting into some Chiefs stats, they're 10-1 and this season, which really scares me. 3-1 and in the division with a loss to the Raiders, almost two losses to them. Uh, they're on yeah. a six-game win streak. The, uh, their offense is ranked second in the NFL. Their defense, 18th. Special teams, 26th. So maybe we can take uh, advantage of that with KJ Hamler back there. Their offense is averaging 31.6 points per game with 314.5 pass yards and 111.3 rush yards per game. So you know Mahomes is going to be slinging it out there with Callahan not playing. What do you think of that, Nate? Yeah, I mean, I think our biggest thing for this game is the fact that they allow 128.2 rush yards per game. I think that's that's our thing right there. That's what we're, we need to attack. Um, some things we need to watch for um, for this game are going to be who wins the line of scrimmage. And for this game, we are really going to need to pressure and we are going to need to run the ball so who wins that line of scrimmage is going to be very big next thing we need to watch for is can Boye slow down Tyreek Hill because I just got to assume that we're going to put our best corner on Tyreek Hill after the historic game that he had last week and Boye actually has struggled recently since he came back from that hit that Kareem Jackson gave him he struggled a little bit so hopefully he can bounce back this week yeah And then the final thing that we need to watch for is the time of possession battle, which I'll get into later. Um, I'm very intent on our focus of the um, time of possession battle. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Mark, who worries 
who worries us or who worries you? First and foremost, obviously, Patrick Mahomes. He's the best player in the NFL right now. Can make any throw, can extend plays with his legs, can throw the ball 80 yards. Like, he's, you know, you just got to be terrified of the kid. He's never lost to the Broncos. His first career start was against us. Um, also, after the game he had last week, Tyreek Hill, you know, fastest receiver in football probably, you know, had, what, 203 receiving yards in the first quarter. He had the second highest fantasy football game, second to none other than um, a Chargers running back. Do you remember who that was? Uh, LaDainian Tomlinson, was it him, or is it even farther? Or is it Darren Sproles? No, was I'm he... pretty sure it was Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon, oh, oh I remember that game. Yeah, yeah. Yep, um, and, you know, not having Bryce Callahan is going to be big playing against him. And then third guy scares me, Travis Kelsey, who's probably the best tight end in the NFL. And as we've mentioned on here multiple times, we cannot cover tight ends no matter what we do. Uh, Although this year has been the best year for our linebackers in coverage, so... Mm-hmm. Josie do, you think, uh, do you think it'll cancel out or no? Uh, I don't know. It seems like it's we haven't played somebody of Travis Kelsey's caliber yet this season. You know, we played old man Gronk. You know, so it'll be it'll be a test. Josie Jewell, we're looking to you to shut this man down. And the last guy that uh, worries me is Chris Jones. You know, one of the best D linemen in the NFL. He's been terrorizing the line of scrimmage. You know, getting pressure up the middle and. As we know, Drew Locke does not do the best with pressure, and we have a rookie center, and that's going to be a big matchup to watch right there. Yeah, and the main thing about Chris Jones that I notice is that he blows up the middle. Yeah, it's going to be... On many occasions, which is Cushenberry, which mm-hmm. is somebody who's been struggling. And pressure up the middle has been something that Drew Locke forces him to throw off his back foot and leads to pick so that's what worries his me signature fadeaway throws so moving on from that nate what do you think our keys to winning this game are okay so yeah i put i put a lot of effort breaking down film and stuff like that to figure out what we need to do this to win this game because this is a very important game if we're going to make the playoff push and things like that so i have four things that we need to do the first thing is keep Mahomes in the pocket with pressure, okay? Now, Mahomes is an amazing pocket passer. He's an amazing passer on the run. And what gets a lot of people in trouble is they rush and let him escape. And when he escapes, he starts to extend plays. And when he extends plays, he doesn't extend them for a five-yard gain. He extends them for 30, 40, 50 yards down the field to Tyree Kill. Like, it's you can't let him extend these plays with the coverage depth that we have mm-hmm. on our team because and then yeah you got it <laughs> uh, i was gonna say yeah because his receivers you know they know how to work back to the ball they know how to you know get open for him so you gotta watch yeah, out for it's that it's something they practice and have experience with so um i think the best opportunity for us to force mistakes is to collapse the pocket around mahomes where he cannot escape so that means pressure up the middle not leaving gaps to the outsides and forcing him to step up, throw the ball. Either he takes a sack, he makes a bad throw, or he makes a good throw but gets hit right after, which is what we want to force him to do all game is continue to have him under pressure and have have a Bronco in his face. Um, I looked on Pro Football Focus at Mahomes' rating, 
And first off, he has a phenomenal quarterback rating, as you would expect. He has a 95 quarterback rating when he is not pressured, which is as close to perfect as you can get. And then when he is pressured, though, it is a 69-point rating, which is a big difference. What do you feel about about that difference right there? That's uh, that's interesting. I didn't really expect it to drop that much. But, you know, Mahomes, I'm pretty sure he only has, what, two, two three interceptions this whole season. Yeah. So, you know, even, yeah. even if his quarterback rating is going down, he's just throwing the ball away, so. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But, yeah, I mean, I definitely thought his out-of-the-pocket pressure throwing would be a lot better with how that's where a lot of his highlights come. Uh, next up, our second key to winning the game is that our special teams limits Hardman and Pringle to short returns, Okay. Um, field position is going to be a big thing because I can't expect our defense to stop the Chiefs offense on a three and out every drive. Exactly, They're going to need as many opportunities and as many sets of downs to stop them. Um, back in the day when we would beat the Chiefs, back in the Peyton Manning era, um, they would still drive the whole length of the field and it would take us like we would finally stop them in the red zone or just outside the red zone. Um, how do you feel about our defensive chances to limit the Chiefs to shorter drives? Definitely starts with the pass rush. Pass rush has to get there. We have to stop the run. You know, they have Le'Veon Bell and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. We have to, you know, play physical with their receivers, not let them get open downfield. Otherwise, they're just going to march down the field on us all day long. Yeah. Um, so our next, my next point of how we need to win the game, point number three, is that we run the ball all four quarters. We have not run the ball all four quarters besides, like, three games, and we won all those. Um, the Dolphins game, where we ran the ball the whole game and committed to the run, we rushed for – do you remember how many yards that game was? It was, like, two it was, 200 something. It was a, a pretty high point. Um, it was definitely a high if, – if it wasn't 200, it was definitely in the high, very high 100s. Yeah, so um, as we've learned from last year with Drew Locke and some of the most successful games he had this year, Drew Locke is not, at this stage of his career, going to win the game in a shootout. He needs to play off of the run. We need to run the ball to set him up with play action and roll out. Um, how do you think we can do that a little bit better to support Locke? Uh, you know, a little less predictable play calling. Um, maybe try rolling him to his left a little bit because I know quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield like rolling to the left. They actually throw better to their left sometimes because they can square up a little more. You know, just yeah, play it, around pistol formation. It, one play that I've noticed is against the Dolphins, and now we tried to do it against the Saints a couple of times, but it's tough to be successful when you're running the ball every play with the Dolphins. We pulled Garrett Bowles and Reisner a lot, who are our two most athletic best linemen. Honestly, our best two linemen. We pulled them a lot to the right and ran to the right and got a lot of long gains doing that. So I really hope we get back to pulling those guys to set mm -hmm. up the run. Because I'll tell you right um, now, if I'm a DB and I see Garrett Bowles or Dalton Reisner running full speed at me, I'm getting out of the way. I'm not, yep. not going to want any part of that. <laughs> Yeah, so that sets me up for my final thing we need to do to win the game. 
and it's when time of possession. The Raiders beat the Chiefs in a shootout, and a lot of analysts said, oh, the Raiders showed us the recipe to beat the Chiefs. No, they didn't. Not, all, not every team can win a shootout against the Chiefs. They're too explosive. So how the Broncos beat the Chiefs is by holding on to the ball, okay? We won't win a shootout, so we need to slow the game down. We need to give Mahomes maybe one or two opportunities a half, or I mean a quarter. Try to limit him to like four possessions a half, something like that, because our defense can stop him two out of four, three out of four times. And I'm fine with going into half down 14-10. Right, like exactly. That's, that's not a big deal. Um, the other big benefit with winning the time of possession is going to be that hopefully we keep the Chiefs from getting their offensive stride. Um, if The longer we keep Mahomes on the sideline, the colder he's going to get, the more rusty he's going to get. And then when he comes out on the field, there's going to be more um, – pressure on every drive because he's going to know I'm only going to get two more opportunities. I mm-hmm. have to score now. And then when he tries to create that explosive plays, he feels that pressure like he has to. That's where our defense and Justin Simmons are going to get those picks and turnovers and things like exactly. that. Yeah, and we, we have to control the game. How do you feel about that key? Yeah, uh, I definitely would agree with that. I'm going to add also, you know, you Giving the three and outs is going to tire our defense out. And having a tired defense against Patrick Mahomes isn't going to get you anything except burned every play. So, yeah, you know, got to yeah, keep, got to keep the, uh, keep the defense off the field. Keep the offense out there. You know, grind the ball, old school football. You know, just chew clock, chew clock, chew clock, like you said. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's getting back to how we've always won football. Besides, in the Peyton Manning era, we've always won football by slowing down the clock, playing great defense, running the ball, tiring people out, and winning by a score because our defense is clutch. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's the recipe that the Broncos need to complete. Yeah. Um, so that's that's our breakdown for the Chiefs game. Um, hopefully we can win that game and turn our season around. But let's get into score predictions, okay? So me and Mark, as we say every episode, we are very honest Broncos fans. And that'll show itself with these score predictions. So my prediction is that it will be 31-17 to 17 and the Chiefs are going to win. And my thought process of this is I think we are going to be down, as I said earlier, 10-14 to 14 at half. I think it's going to be close at the half. And I think the Chiefs are going to hit the field running when they come out of the half. And some stuff's going to happen and it's just going to turn sideways after the half. Um, what do you think, Mark, for your game prediction? Yeah, so I'm just going to say that, you know, I am really not that high on this game. I don't really think the Broncos have a chance. I have them losing to the Chiefs 35-7. to And my rationale for that Ooh. is is because um, I think the offense is going to come out very sluggish and slow after, you know, not having the quarterbacks for a week. And I just don't think that it's going to be – they're not going to hit, you know, Jerry, Judy, Tim Patch, everybody. I feel like for some reason I just have this feeling that the Chiefs are just going to completely shut down our offense until, like, garbage time. Yeah, we just we just got to hope that it, it affects the quarterbacks in the opposite way and they come out on fire because they're mad about what they did and what happened to the team and stuff like that. So exactly. it'll go one or two ways. 
Yeah, so that'll finish up that section. So we're going to get to our final section here, one that we have a lot of fun with, with our Hail Mary predictions, which I actually got mine right last week. So Yes, you're, you're one for two, and I'm a good old-fashioned 0 for two. So. One for two, but, you know, I'm stepping on a big limb this week with mine. I'm going to say Drew Locke has zero turnovers Ooh, in this game. I mean... Last week he only had one, but it was like on the first, the first. <laughs> Which I believe play. the only game he hasn't had a turnover this season was what week one against the Titans. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. What about you, Nate? What's your prediction? So my hail mary prediction is going to be that Tyree Kill, who we all know, went off last week. What was it two hundred and sixty-two yards and a handful of touchdowns? Three touchdowns, I believe. Yeah. So I'm going to say. Tyreek Hill does not score a touchdown against the Broncos. And he has less than 70 yards receiving. If you want to talk about a tough Hail Mary, this is it. Both of our picks are definitely on the Hail Mary side. And if we do both of these things, I think the Broncos prove me and Mark wrong and win this game. Yeah, definitely score more than seven points. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Okay, so this will conclude our episode this week. We really appreciate all of the support we have gotten from around the world as we have now surpassed 100 downloads. Yeah, shout out India. Um, um, So, yeah, we have listeners in three different countries. Um, In the U.S., we've gotten to, it's like 20-some states. So we are definitely making our way around. Um, Just remember to give us that download. Spread the word. Give us that listen. And shout us out to any friends or family members who you think would be interested in this. All the support we greatly appreciate. So with that, tune in next week for yet another episode. Once again, I'm Nate. I'm Mark. And we're the Appalachian Broncos.